Okay, you guys ready for this? Yeah. Let's do a little Bible study here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 15. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. This is our Thrive Teaching Series, Habits of Grace. We're going to talk about prayer, one of my favorite topics. Take a look at your sermon notes there also as we start this uh, off. These, these uh, points at the front end of this are really, really important. This is what's kept uh, my prayer life uh, full of persistence and passion. Listen to this statement. Prayer is an amazing privilege filled with astounding promise. It's an amazing privilege filled with astounding promise. Based on James 4, 2 and 5, 16 have been two verses that have just really greatly impacted my life that have kept me uh, persistent and passionate in my prayer life. James 4, 2 basically says that we have not because we what? Because we ask not. And then James 5.16 says that uh, the prayers of a righteous person, that would be those that have put their faith in Jesus. So by grace through faith in Christ, the prayers of a righteous person are, are powerful and effective. So based on those verses here, we could say that prayer causes things to happen that otherwise that would otherwise not happen if we didn't pray. Let me say that again so that you really understand this because this is really important understanding of prayer. Prayer causes things to happen that would otherwise not happen if we didn't pray. It's based on those, those verses and based on many other verses in the Bible too. And so we have been offered the amazing privilege of engaging with God in such a way that, that we have an astounding promise that our request can bring to pass events in the universe that would otherwise not happen if we don't pray. You guys tracking with me? I mean, that's big. So when you don't pray, there's things that are not going to happen as a result of your lack of prayer that could happen in your life and in the lives of those around you. I mean, that's the promise of James 4.2 and 5.16. That there's things that happen when we pray. Now, we might not always see those things that are happening, but the Bible guarantees it, makes it very clear. And so it would be of unbelievable folly to not avail ourselves to this privilege and promise. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's, it's foolishness if we don't pray when God says, I'm going to do something as a result of your prayers, and yet we just kind of neglect it and, and kind of take it for granted. And so prayer is an amazing privilege filled with astounding promise. We're going to talk about that today, and we're going to see that in Matthew 6, 5 through 15. But let's first begin with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, we are delighted to be here today. There's nothing we enjoy more than to spend time with you and to know your word and, and to study and to uh, grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. We come to you with grateful awareness that you are our loving Father and our access to you is a free gift won by the costly sacrifice of Jesus, the true Son, and enacted in us by the Holy Spirit who helps us know inwardly that we are your children. We confess our folly of not availing ourselves of this amazing privilege and astounding promise more consistently and compellingly. Teach us what prayer is what it does, how to do it, so that we can thrive in our relationship with you through this habit of grace for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So let's look at Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. 
And, and by the way, this is a Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached by our Savior Jesus. And this is what he says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Oh, this next verse is really sweet. I've been meditating on it this last week. This is, there's some richness here in this next verse. As I was reflecting on it, it really got a hold of my, my heart this last week. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. There's implications throughout this. Whoops, let me fix this. Nothing like a little distraction there. Okay, there we go. I was kind of leaning on it and was getting all excited and I can't do that. Don't get so excited here. So let me, let me reread that. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And let that land on you. It's just like, wow, that's just you and him. Intimacy with the infinite, with the God, the galaxies, the God of the galaxies, the one who loves us. We can have a relationship with him. We can know him. It's overwhelming. That verse was overwhelming to me this last week. I was, I'm reading through this and it's just like, boom, it hit me. It's just like, oh my goodness. In verse seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows your needs. He knows what's going on in your life. He loves you. He, he's going to take care of you. You can trust His love. You can trust His wisdom. You can trust His, his power working in your life and for your life. That's part of what He's wanting us to understand. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, rich text. Here we go. What it is, we're defining prayer. Here's your first couple fill in the blanks. It is finding our way from discipline to delight. So what is prayer? What is it? or what it is, it is finding our way from discipline to delight. Keep your Bibles open because we'll be referring back to verses. You'll also notice on your notes that I, in a little smaller print there, I put the verses that each of these points refer to. You'll notice in verse five, six, and seven, he says it three times, and when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray, but when you pray. So we see three times in this text, it's a discipline. It's a discipline, it's a spiritual discipline, it's a habit of grace. And then in verse six C, the reason why I do the ABCs is because it kind of divides the verses up into little smaller segments. That's what that means if you're not familiar with that. 
but verse uh, 6c, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the delight part of it. So it is finding our way from discipline to delight. Uh, If you stop praying because you're not getting anything out of prayer, I hear people say that, I, I, I wasn't getting anything out of it, so why pray? If you stop praying because you're not getting anything out of prayer, I will guarantee you that you will most definitely not get anything out of not praying, okay? Does that make sense? So why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. I see people do that when it comes to Bible study, going to church, any number of things. Romans 15.30, Paul says, strive together with me in your prayers. The word literally means struggle or wrestle, wrestle. Wrestle together with me in your prayers. We are to pray regularly, persistently, tenaciously, daily, whether we feel like it or not. Now, if you're like me, if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, I have to wrestle in order to pray because when I pray, it seems that everything has entered into a conspiracy to keep me from prayer. Anybody relate to that? It seems as though everything around me has entered into a conspiracy to keep me from praying. But not only... Do I have to wrestle in order to pray, but I have to wrestle in prayer. So even in my prayer, there's a wrestling just to concentrate as my thoughts sprint back and forth between God and the many pressing duties of the day. How many have a kind of a problem with that? I've, I've never, I've never, while I'm preaching, I've never forgotten that I was preaching, okay? I've never done that. I've never just all of a sudden. I mean, I've, I've chased some rabbits. You guys know that. I do that from time to time. But I've never forgotten, like, oh, wait a, wait a minute. I'm preaching, aren't I? Oh, look at all those people. Why are they looking at me like that? I'm, I've never done that. But many times I've forgotten that I was praying. Have you guys done that before? It's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. wait what, what was I doing here? I was praying. I was talking to God. It's like, what is that? So it's a wrestle. We have to wrestle and work through that. No Christian outgrows the need to persevere and struggle in prayer. You must pray yourself from discipline to delight. C.S. Lewis, uh, I, I like this statement. See if you can track with this statement that he says. He says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Did you, guys, did you guys follow that? That's a pretty brilliant statement. So faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing mood. So, so what are the things that you're, you're holding on to, that your reason has once accepted? It's that prayer is an amazing privilege filled with astounding promise based on James 4, 2, and 5, 16. And uh, so those are the things, what are the things that he's talking about here that we hold on to that are, that are reason, we've reasoned to this point that this is important to me, this is valuable, in spite of my changing moods, I'm going to do this. Because you remember, we talked about this, the things you value, you prioritize, the things you prioritize, you practice. If you're not practicing it, regardless of what you say, it's not a value. You may say to me, Pastor Ray, prayer's a value to me, all I have to do is look at your life, whether or not it is. Because the things you value, you prioritize. The things you prioritize, you practice. Just look at your practices, regardless of what you say. And by the way, that's also a demonstration of, of your character or lack thereof. Remember what we talked about last week, that character is, is this idea 
of that your behavior is the product of choices based on your values versus your behavior being the product of your feelings based on your circumstances. So once you understand that this is important, once you be, begin to believe, you know what, there's things that happen. Whether I see them or, or not, there's things that happen. He's promised me that when I pray, it causes things to happen that would otherwise not happen. If I don't pray, I'm going to pray. And it becomes a value to you in spite of your changing moods. So you must find your way from discipline to delight. Here's the next one. Next thing of prayer. So prayer, it is finding our way from discipline to delight. It is conversation with God. It's conversation with God. Look at these next couple verses here. Verse 7, he says, do not heap up empty phrases. What is he talking about there? Just kind of going through the motions, kind of talking at God, uh, checking the box. Oh, I prayed. It, it, where prayer is kind of a ritual or a routine or uh, kind of a religious activity. But you look at verse 8, he's defining it. No, it's a relationship. You're, you're interacting with the creator of the universe. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So it's not a ritual, routine, religious activity. It's relationship with God. Listen, you and I were meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the day to look into the face of our creator and to have all of the acceptance, security, significance we would ever need. But sin interfered with that. We rebelled against God and it separated us from God. But Jesus came to restore at great cost this, um, this most amazing privilege and astounding promise of communication and conversation and community with God. And it's, it's, it's absolutely stunning that we can have relationship with God, that we can interact with him. Now, now here's the problem. How do you keep this conversation with God from being an insincere and shallow exchange of information and make it a true personal encounter with God? How do you do that? How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it vital and filled with vigor and excitement and energy? How do you do that? Through God's word. You do that through God's word. Prayer is a continuation of a conversation God started. He's the one that initiates the conversation. So without immersion in God's words, our prayer may not be, uh, our prayer may not be merely limited and shallow, but also untethered from reality. So on, you'll notice on the growing notes, we've been kind of helping you to walk through this whole idea of what it looks like to study the Bible. Starts off with observation, interpretation, application. As you kind of work through that, try to uncover what it's saying. Here's what I typically do. Once I kind of have the big idea, the topic at hand, here's one of the ways that I, I begin to work it down deep into my heart. This is part of the meditation. By the way, remember what we talked about. We, you start off with Bible study, and immediately, oftentimes, we go right into prayer, but you actually should be meditating on God's Word, and then that's where God begins to speak to you, and then in prayer, you begin to respond back to God. And so this is how I do it. It's, for instance, this uh, topic, we're talking about prayer, this text. So you read through it and you go, well, it's talking about prayer. Mm, yep, you got it. Okay, so I use this uh, acronym, ACTS, Adoration, A, C, Confession, T, Thanksgiving, 
as supplication. So I just begin to work that through, and as I'm walking through the day, I mean, I could even take that verse that stood out to me, which I did this last week, uh, from our text, and begin to walk through that. What can I adore him for? That the fact that I have access to the throne room of God, wow, that's amazing that Christ made that possible for me 24-7, not based on my performance. God, I adore you for that. I adore you that you are always with me, never to leave me or forsake me. That would be adoration. What is confession? Confession would be, man, I don't live in the reality of that as much as I should because if I did, it would make a major difference in my life. If I knew and understood and lived in the reality of the one who promised to never leave me or forsake me, if I understood who it is that walks through my day with me, oh my goodness, I could face anything. So my confession, Father, is that I don't live there. And so the ACT Thanksgiving is that, God, you've made it possible so that I can take your word with me throughout the day. I I can understand you more clearly through your word. You've written it down, but you've also indwelled me with your Holy Spirit to help me to understand it. Oh, and then you give me a church family that, that comes around and comes alongside of me to encourage me, to help me to keep my eyes on you. That's the thanksgiving. The supplication, oh Lord, let me have a sense of your presence in my life unlike ever before. So that would be kind of how you work through that. And I'll guarantee you that if you begin to do that, if you begin to take your Bible study and then begin to meditate on it, God will speak to you powerfully. And you'll go, oh my goodness, I needed to hear that. Exactly, he knows exactly what you need. He loves you. He's coming after you. I mean, it's it's. It's pretty amazing, and so that's a little bit of what I do. I also, when I talk about this idea of conversation, so it's a conversation with God, it really involves also, so meditation is the key to making God's love and truth more real to your heart, and it's the doorway into deeper and more satisfying prayer life. We talked about that last week. I would go back and listen to that one. It's on meditation. It's it's quite a lengthy one, but it's worth listening to. And uh, you can get our our DB app and listen to that because it'll really help you to understand where we are here with this idea of prayer. But uh, here's a couple things that I look for, and this is what I look for in a healthy relationship. When I sit down with couples or I I sit down with my wife, I look at our, our mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. Healthy relationships are gonna have a mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. That's a healthy relationship. And so you really want to, if you want to look at the health of a relationship, is there, is there this mutual giving and receiving of, of truth? I can speak truth to my wife. She can speak truth to me. And can I receive that truth? And is she receiving my truth? Are we good listeners? Do I feel that she listens to me? And is there love? Do I, do I have a sense that she, she's pouring her love into me? She loves me. And then also, I'm loving her. The same thing is true with God. I ought to be able to come to you and ask you, what has God been speaking to you lately? It's a relationship, isn't it? And if you've been studying God's word, if you're saturating yourself in God's word, I will guarantee you he will speak to you powerfully and you're gonna go, oh my goodness, you're not gonna believe this, but this is what he's been saying to me. I needed this. I've been taking this with me throughout the day. It has transformed my life. And not only do you hear him and you're listening to him, but you know You know deep in your heart that when you pour your heart out to him, he hears every word. I mean, think about it. The God of the galaxies loves you, adores you, gave his life for you. You have his ear. It's absolutely stunning.
I don't really fully understand it. I've never really gotten over it. It's all by his grace, not based on my performance. I don't ever deserve for him to ever listen to me or pour his love into my life, but it's not based on my performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus is what he did on the cross for me. And I, so I have Jesus' righteousness and I can enter into it and, and that's what ultimately transforms my heart and my life. And it's just, it's absolutely amazing. So there's this mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. I not only know that he hears me, but I want to hear him. Because I, I know I can't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth, I'm desperate to hear from him. And there are times that I just, I'm lost in, in his love for me. And I tell him regularly, oh my goodness, God, I love you, I adore you, I thank you, I, I worship you, I can't believe you love me. That's that adoration. I just, just basking in the reality of his love and just enjoying it. When was the last time when was the last time you just, you were lost, you were lost in, in love and praise and wonder over the reality of the God of this Bible as you reflected on him and thought about him and just enjoyed him. See, that's the relationship that he invites us into. So it's, it is finding our way from discipline to delight. It is conversation with God, but it, it is seeking a heart sense of God's presence. It's seeking a heart sense of God's presence. Verse six, pray to your father. Listen to how many times he uses this term father. I love it. Pray to your father, verse six, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse eight, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse nine, pray then like this, our father in heaven Verse 14, your heavenly Father will forgive you. I mean, five times in this short little text, God doesn't merely speak to us. He is present with us. I, I want to hear him, but I want to know he's with me. He's for me. I have his presence. Oh, I love his presence. I love his presence. Listen, there's nothing, there's nothing that will satisfy you more like his presence. There's nothing out there, there's nothing in creation that can satisfy you like the creator and knowing him and walking with him and enjoying his presence. There's no amount of money in your bank account, there's no romance out there, there's no, you know, great achievement or accomplishment. You're going to come up empty with all of it. We'll applaud you. We'll go, ooh, that's good, cool, that's great. But ultimately, it's going to, you're going to end up empty. You will. Because your heart was made for him and him alone, to know him, to, to walk with him, to, to have him fill you up so that you can know a satisfaction that's incomparable in him. And, uh, and so, that's so important. It is seeking a heart sense of God's presence through prayer our concept of God becomes becomes a reality we don't just believe in the greatness of God we we sense his greatness strengthening us we don't just believe in the goodness of God we sense his goodness as satisfying us. In prayer, you can come into the very presence of God. Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures 
forevermore. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. He's writing to Christians here. And he's just saying, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have, he's called you. I mean, he goes, their eyes, I thought their eyes were already enlightened. No, 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 no. Not like they need to be. And that's how we all are. I mean, we, we, we don't see as we, we should see. And, and he also prays uh, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, talking about that you would be strengthened in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart. Wait, wait, I thought Christ was already dwelling in their heart. No, 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 like, not like he should be dwelling in their heart. We have his presence. We, we kind of go most of our life without even recognizing his presence in our lives. That's why he's praying that. Listen to what Augustine said to I think here's kind of the root of our problem. Proba wrote Augustine because she was afraid she wasn't praying as she should. Augustine responded with a brief practical essay. Augustine's first principle is that before you know what to pray for and how to pray for it, you must become a particular kind of person. You must account yourself you must count yourself, account yourself desolate in this world, however great the prosperity of your lot may be. The scales must have fallen from your eyes, and you must see clearly that no matter how great your earthly circumstances become, they can never bring you the lasting peace happiness and consolation that are found in Christ. Unless you have that clearly in view, your prayers may go wrong. That's exactly what I was talking about. There's nothing, there's nothing that will satisfy you like he will satisfy you. That's the essence of the Christian life. That's how you bring glory to him. Okay, so it is finding our way from discipline to delight. it is conversation with God. It is seeking a sense of God's presence. And then, so what does it, what it does, what does that do in our lives? Here it is. It, re- it requires and creates honesty and humility. It requires and creates honesty and humility. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, that term, it's just a game player, mask wear. He's just saying, don't be full of pretense and pride. So he's saying here, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, this is a reward. This is a satisfaction. This is, a, this is something that he gives to us that you're not going to find anywhere on this planet. So true prayer keeps us from deceiving ourselves from pretense and pride. When you realize who it is you're having conversation with, you're interacting with, you're all-knowing, all-powerful, loving creator, you naturally are going to expose your deepest feelings, fears, flaws, and faults to him. If you are truly praying, unless you're, if you're just going through the motions, it'll just be kind of somewhat robotic. But if you understand, wait a minute, I have an audience with the Creator. He's here with me. Based on what it says here, He hears me. He knows me. He cares about me. You're going to begin to open up your heart to Him. Now, let me, uh, let, me, let me help you to feel a little conviction here, okay? Would that be all right? Because I, because I love you guys, and I want you to really understand 
something. It's, it's interesting that in this text, Jesus is basically saying, don't be like the hypocrites who pray to be seen, but go into your closet. Now, we often think of hypocrites as those who go to church, but on the side, they're cheating on their spouse, which is certainly, that's a hypocrite, okay? Uh, but Jesus chooses to define a hypocrite as somebody without a private prayer life. That, that's what he's saying here. And so he's given us this infallible test of spiritual integrity is, is, that your, is really your private prayer life. The infallible test of spiritual integrity is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they are required by social expectations or perhaps because of troubling circumstances. Of course we pray. We get together with our friends and we're asked to pray and so of course we pray. Or, or things aren't going so well in my life. Of course I'm going to pray. But what he's saying, if you're not praying other than that, he's saying you lack integrity. In fact, you are a hypocrite. That's what he's saying. You feel the conviction of that? I mean, I do. I mean, how often do you pray? How often do you spend, spend time with him? And, and that's what he's saying here. If you have a genuine relationship with God, you will want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing you to pray. It's fascinating that when Job was prospering, you guys familiar with the book of Job, Old Testament? You guys tried to read it, couldn't get through it, said, oh my goodness, this is unbearable. It's painful just to read the book. It's about pain and suffering, and it's just hard to get through the book. But, but as you work through the book, it's fascinating that it starts off. Here's a guy that even in the midst of his, before he was even experiencing suffering, that when Job was prospering, he prayed. When he was suffering, he still prayed. His prayer life was less about using God and more about just being with God, loving him in and of himself. Remember the analogy I used last weekend? If you weren't here with this last weekend, you're not, you won't know the analogy, but the Klondike bar analogy. <laughs> what will you do for a Klondike bar? Yeah. See, we have kind of that relationship with God. It's really more about using him. We don't really see our prayer life kind of light up until bad things are happening in our lives, which tells us that whatever those bad things are, whatever's being threatened, those things are actually more important than our spending time with him and knowing him. We're, we're missing the idea that, wait a minute, wait a minute, what I have in him is better by far than anything I could ever get from him. And if you understand that, believe me, believe me, you will spend time with him. You will want to pray. You will want to, to enjoy his presence because there's going to be a satisfaction in him you're going to find anyplace else. But if you haven't come to terms with that yet, you're just going to be using God. And that's why he's saying, that's why he, he calls us hypocrites because of that. The more I understand that the same divine glory that would have that would have been fatal to Moses on contact, Exodus 33:20, now comes into the hearts of those pardoned by Christ. That's you and I. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. That word knowledge means intimacy. 
And that it also tells us in that verse that we are partakers of his divine nature. So when you put your faith in Jesus, his Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And you have immediate access to the throne room of God. It's absolutely stunning. Absolutely amazing. And it is an astonishing privilege to approach the throne of God in prayer, one at an unimaginable cost. And we should, we should take time and meditate on this truth until it, until it humbles us and makes us even more honest in our interaction with God, but more importantly, that it, it thrills us and begins to satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. Listen to what... Uh, I found this interesting quote here. This would be that so, so your mindset as you're heading into prayer should be something like this. Many of the best books on prayer over the years counsel that before beginning prayer and meditation, we take ourselves in hand, wake ourselves up to the magnitude of what is going to happen. One suggested we make um, the following speech to ourselves. Listen to what it says. God is here. Within these walls, before me, behind me, on my right hand, on my left hand. He who feels immensity has come down to me here. I am now about to bow at his feet and speak to him. I may pour forth my desires before him and not one syllable from my lips shall escape his ear. I may speak to him as I would to the dearest friend I have on earth. That's good stuff. I mean, just to, I mean, so you almost have to kind of prepare yourself just before you head into that time of devotion with God. Just like, okay, okay. Am I taking this seriously? Do, do I realize, realize the, the implications of this? Do I understand the significance of this, that God hears me? He knows me. He cares about me. I'm interacting with the creator of the universe. Important stuff. Good stuff. Okay. So it requires and creates honesty and humility, but it also renews your perspective. So let me break down a few extra verses here. Verse 6a, your father who is in secret. That, to me, that means, as I thought about that, what does that tell me about God? Well, that he's omnipresent. So I don't just have to have a spot somewhere. I can talk with him any time of the day, anywhere. That's the idea here. Verse 6b, your father who sees in secret, he's omniscient. He knows every detail of my life. Verse 8b, for your father knows what you need, what you need before you ask him. He's loving. He cares about me. Verses 9 through 13, when you get into the Lord's Prayer, this is kind of how I summarized all the Lord's Prayer. He's basically saying here, and he's telling us, your perfect Father who rules the universe, hears your prayers, meets your needs, forgives your sins, and will lead you into fullness of life. Now, some of you desperately need a renewed perspective. And I know, I, I do too, more, more often than I'd like to admit, but the reason why I say that is because I can tell by your countenance. I can tell by how you're getting the heck beat out of you by life. You don't realize who is for you and not against you. And prayer gives us that perspective. 
In Psalm uh, 73, I, I absolutely love the psalm. I have to go back to it regularly because I struggle with some envy and self-pity and all that junk. And I know my perspective is off when I'm, when I'm anxious and angry and depressed and I've got self-pity and uh, I'm envious of others. And, um, and, and I know, man, my perspective is all, all jacked up, really. And so Psalm 73 helps me because here's a dude that he's looking at the... He's looking at the wicked, and they're prospering. And not only are they prospering, they have no pain. And he's ticked off royally because he's thinking, wait a minute, I'm your child, and life has beaten the living daylights out of me. What is that about, God? That's what he's saying. He's just like, Phew. so he's got this, he's got self-pity working. He's envious. Oh, my goodness, but there's a place in that text about halfway through when you work through it, Verse, uh, chapter 73, but when I came into the sanctuary, it's like, wow, perspective time. When I encountered the living God, he has this whole new perspective. And he goes from envy and self-pity to pitying those who don't know God and to praise for what he has in God. It's amazing. You see, the same thing happened with uh, Job. I mean, as you read through Job, the more clearly Job saw who God was, the fuller his prayer became, moving from mere complaint to confession, appeal, and then praise. And it's quite, you know, uh, if you don't want to have to work through the whole book, just Cut to the chase, go to the end of the book, and you begin to see stuff that happens in his life. And this is what he says, the very end of the book of Job. Job uh, 1, uh, I'm sorry, Job 42, 6. He said, I had heard of you, but now my eye sees you. You were a concept to me. Now you're a reality. You're my most satisfying reality. Job never saw why he suffered. And I hear people say this, if I just knew why. Job never saw why. But he saw God and that was enough. And that was enough. Game over. If you could get a glimpse of God, if you could get a glimpse of the God who loves you, game over. I don't need to know why. I've got you. That's, that's a new perspective. That's what he gives us. All that I am in Christ, all that I have in Christ is greater than all that life can give or suffering and death can take away. That's what you'll come to the realization of. Of course, that's going to create in you, here's the next one, it produces restful, trust, confident hope, profound love. So this is what it's doing. This is what prayer is doing. It, it, it requires and creates honesty and humility. It renews our, your perspective, and then it produces this restful trust, confident hope, and profound, profound love. Uh, so the, the Lord's Prayer, verses 9 through 13, praying the Lord's Prayer will produce these things. I, I was watching... Um, National Geographic, I think it was National Geographic or uh, it was History Channel, one of the others, but it was really fascinating. I was kind of channel surfing, landing on this, and I go, this is fascinating. It was a guy, it was a um, FBI agent who interrogated Saddam Hussein for six months before his trial, verdict, and execution, 
And he interrogated him to find out if he had stockpiled weapons of mass destruction. Anybody see that? Okay, there's like two of us here. Okay. Pretty fascinating. It's just really amazing. Here's what was interesting about this. And this guy got into all the psychology of trying to talk to this psychopath, dictator, and what was interesting about this is what's what fascinating this FBI agent, and he said it very clearly, what fascinating him the most is that during Saddam Hussein's trial was that when they brought Saddam Hussein into the courtroom in chains, how frightened many of these people still were, even though he could never again hurt them. That as they brought him into the courtroom, they were still almost visibly disturbed and fearful, they were sh almost shaking because of this psychopath dictator. And I was thinking, that's you and I. That Jesus came to break the power of sin, Satan, and death. And we still, we still get freaked out and stressed out over all the issues of life. And what we need to do, and I think this is part of prayer, what prayer does, is that it, it helps us. In fact, the verse that came to mind was some verses that we just went through in Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Why are you stressing out? This is what's available to us. Restful trust, confident hope, profound love. But what we've got to do through prayer is take it down into our heart and apply it to our lives. That's why prayer is so significant. In fact, that was a quote from Romans 8.15 from our More Than Conquerors series. It tells us in Ephesians 6.10-20, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the enemy. And so all the benefits of Christ's salvation that have been objectively secured for us must be personally appropriated for daily life. And Paul in that text, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, says that the way we do that is through prayer. He says that in verse 18. Paul says the key to this is, is prayer. Prayer is the way that we do that. So let me take you through, uh, let me take you through this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, kind of, and so how many memorized the Lord's Prayer growing up, you know, the, by memory? Great. Because now, before your feet hit the floor in the morning, you could lay there and go through the Lord's Prayer and use it as a model and as a springboard of interaction with God, because it's a wonderful way to interact with God. So let me take you through this. And so, and the idea here is that the more you live in the kingdom that can't be shaken, Hebrews 12, 28, the less you'll be shaken by the threats and the criticism and the failures and the changes and the losses of life. It brings unbelievable stability into your life. So here it is, both a model and a springboard for prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, that's the basis. The word Father is Abba or Daddy. The word Father for some conjures up a, a negative image, I understand. Maybe you had a father who was an absentee father or he was, ne he was neglectful or he was abusive. But I find it interesting here that Jesus qualifies the term. He says, heaven. Our father who art in heaven. Not location, perfection. Everybody look up here just for a minute. If you only knew the father heart of God for you, 
if you only knew the Father heart of God for you, if you only knew what he thought about you, if you only knew what he feels about you, what he wants to do in and through your life, nothing would keep you from him. Nothing would keep you from him. That's, that's the foundation of this, of this prayer. Daddy, run into his arms. That's, that's part of that. And, and I know as a daddy and a, as a grandfather, there has never been a parent on earth that loves their child as much as your heavenly father loves you. Here's the next one. Hallowed be your name. This is probably where we should spend most of our time in prayer. And you'll notice that the Lord's Prayer doesn't start off by asking. It, it kind of moves through this, our Father who art in heaven, the basis, and then we've got the adoration, and then we've got your kingdom come, and then it gets to the asking. But we tend to spend most of our time on the asking, but this is really where we should spend most of our time. Hallowed be thy name. This is adoration. Hallowed, ultimate value, name, character, attributes, uh, uh, that he's very personal. He's got a name. We can interact with him. He's our, he's our loving father, intimate friend, patient teacher, gentle guide. You know, he's, he's, he does all of these things for us. And so as you begin to go through these things in your heart and mind, adoration is really about the power of proximity. The closer I get to God, the less trials can overwhelm me and the less temptations will allure me. So adoration is kind of getting up close and personal with God. See, it is impossible for a person to despair who remembers that, that his God, his Savior, is perfect in love, infinite in wisdom, and unlimited in power. So adoration is really just about reveling in who Jesus is and what he's done for you until, until you're lost in, in wonder, love, and praise. You're just going, wow. And then your problems begin to shrink in light of who it is that loves you. It means to assess his value to you, treasure him, reflect on his beauty and glory until your heart just begins to rest in him. And then you begin to release your grip on all those things you think you can't live without as you rest in his love. And then the next one is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is intercession. When you encounter God in the story of Jesus, you get swept up into a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that you are forever changed. And you begin to pray for the presence of God's kingdom to crowd out the efforts of hell in the lives of family, extended family, DB family, friends, neighbors, city, state, national, political, spiritual leaders, that's my list. That's what I work through. And that's what we're praying when you pray that. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, I'm asking that you would crowd out through your presence, hell, that the people that are going through here and bring your kingdom, your grace, your goodness into their lives. And we begin to realize through this prayer, this segment, through prayer, we can bring love where there's hurt, hate, and fear. We can bring healing where there is sickness and affliction. We can bring hope where there's depression and despair. We can bring life where there is death. And then we move to now, here's the asking. Give us this day our daily bread petition. Daily bread is a metaphor for necessities rather than luxuries. Childlike prayer, not just for my needs spiritually. 
This is where I go through spiritual, psychologically, socially, physically, but also for, for all to get daily bread. Did you notice? Give us, not just give me, but give us through a thriving economy and good employment and just society. He's praying for not just himself, but for everyone. May I, and, and in this prayer he's saying, may I find infinite and eternal satisfaction in Christ as the bread of life. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, confession and forgiveness. How many of you have ever watched the TV program Buried Alive? Buried Alive, anybody? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's um, Buried Alive, it's, it's about hoarders. You've seen the movie, have you ever seen the show on hoarders? When I was on a fire department, went on a few calls of, of hoarders, and there was one that was in the candle area. It was an apartment. You could smell the stench as we were getting off the truck. The neighbors had called, got, it, got there. The guy could barely open up the door, but he was standing in trash up to his waist. Now, why would I say that? To gross you out. <laughs> no, to help you to understand what confession and forgiveness is. Confession and forgiveness is like taking out the trash once isn't enough. Regularly, daily, you need to deal with the sins that you have committed and the sins that have been committed against you and take that trash out. I love, uh, it's really like the, the mom who overheard her young daughter. She had taught her daughter the Lord's Prayer and in that place where it says this right here, forgive us of our trespasses is the word that she used to, she taught her daughter. Forgive us of our trespasses. She overheard the little girl reciting this part of the, the Lord's Prayer and this is what the little girl said. Forgive us of our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. <laughs> I love it. That's it. God, forgive us of our trash baskets as we forgive those that put trash in our baskets. People put trash in your baskets. You know that. Get rid of that trash. That's called baggage. It's going to affect all of your life. Get rid of it. He gives us opportunity for, to get rid of the junk in our lives so we can find healing and wholeness in him. Now, it's interesting here. Jesus compares our being forgiven with our forgiving others. Did you notice that he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a correlation between our being forgiven and forgiving. Don't miss this. This is going to help with the healing. Because all of us take hits in life. Every one of us take hits from people. And if we don't deal with it, but this is what he's saying, how we deal with it. This is what I learned years ago, and it was really helpful for me. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. If you're not a forgiving people, it's because you don't understand how much he's forgiven you. Come back to the cross. Come back and understand your sin debt and what Christ has done for you and let that get a hold of your life and then you will become a forgiving person. I'm not saying it's that easy. I'm just saying that's where you need to come back to and he will bring healing to your heart. And then he says, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Aspiration. The word temptation is, you can be, uh, it's really about either enticement to sin or even suffering. So what he's saying here is that don't let sin or suffering keep us from the fullness of life that we have in Christ. Let me conclude with a quick story here and then we will pray. But uh, read this story, heard this story this last week. I heard the story of a new Christian who was a hard-charging advertising executive 
The man told his pastor he didn't have time to meet with God and read his Bible because of his daily responsibilities and work commute. His pastor responded, I've always been able to make time for stuff I value. If it's important to me, I make time for it. It's as simple as that. I make time for meeting with God in my life because it's that valuable to me. You can do with it however you want. The man wasn't too happy with his pastor's response and walked away. Several months later, his pastor saw the man again. His countenance had totally changed, and he invited his pastor and his wife to dinner. A short time after they arrived at the man's home, he took them to a place in his home where he had a rocking chair next to a window looking out over a beautiful backyard. And the man said, you know how you challenged me to make time and find an enjoyable place uh, to spend time with God? Well, I love rocking chairs. I bought this rocking chair and placed it in front of this window so I could look out over my backyard each morning as I spend time with God. And so, each morning, I get up 15 to 30 minutes early. I sit in the chair. I have a cup of coffee. I read God's word. I try to make sense of it. I ask him to speak to me by his word. Then I meditate on it, reflect on it, apply it to my life. Then I write some thoughts down in a journal and I pray that I will be more aware of his presence. How's that going for you, the pastor asked. His wife jumped in and said, I'll tell you how it's going. He's a changed man. He's a changed man. What happens to him when he sits in that chair has changed him. He's more centered, he's more gentle, more loving in our marriage and to our children. This man's life was transformed because he experienced intimacy with Christ through prayer, meditation, and upon God's word. In that chair, his love grew for God as well as for others. He received direction. I read the story, the rest of the story basically just showed how he received direction for his life, calling, uh, life and calling, transformed and energized every part of his life. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing for you as you spend time with him. So here's my, here's my question for you. Simple question. Where's your chair? Where's your chair? Where are you spending time with God? Where do you meet with God? Where do you reflect on his word, open yourself to his power? Where do you become aware of his presence in your life? See, the things we value, we prioritize. The things we prioritize, we practice. Let's pray. So Father God, help us to find, to find our way from discipline to delight in our communion, our conversation with you, seeking a sense of your presence in our lives. May our time with you make us honest and humble, transforming our perspective, producing restful trust, confident hope, profound love. And I want you to look up, look up on the screen. Let's, uh, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. You guys ready? Let's pray it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you guys. I love you guys. Have a great week.